Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. Are you ready to minimize overwhelm and maximize your capacity to do your best work? In April, I'll be offering the Spring Clean for Authors four-week online support group to help you declutter your personal and professional lives. You can show your interest by pre-RSVPing today. Just visit ethanfreckleton.com slash declutter. That's ethanfreckleton.com slash declutter. Link will also be available in the show notes. Ella Tir is an award-winning independent filmmaker whose works aim to remind viewers that, as humans, we long to care about each other. She always knew she wanted to make movies, but soon after graduating from film school, lacking self-confidence in any support system, she gave up on her dream. Several years later, holding herself to a promise she'd made as a teen, Ella remembered to pause and reevaluate if she was on course to living her best life. Within a few months, she received a phone call out of the blue that would change everything. Ella Tier, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller. Thank you. Yeah, and so for those of us who may not know who you are, what would you like to say about yourself? Oh, well, um, well, I am a writer-director, uh, primarily comedies, mm. and, um, and I've also been training uh, screenwriters and filmmakers, directors, actors, um, officially since 2006. So mm. <clears throat> I've been at this for a while. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. And what occupies your time these days as far as, as time, energy, and fun and all those things? Oh, geez. What doesn't? <clears throat> um, let's see. What occupies my time? Um, well, so about two years ago, I moved my operation online. So whereas I used to teach workshops in person in New York City, uh, my master classes are now available online. And so it's been a lot of work. Uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> been a lot of work to produce that. And um, so I'm still at it. I'm still creating my courses. Mm -hmm. um, and um, in the next few months, it'll be time to turn my attention back to the next project that I'm uh, 
developing. Um, and I'm actually choosing, I have several scripts that I'm very much in love with um, and a pilot. And so I'm figuring out if my next project is a, you know, another feature or a, or a series. So that's, that's what I'm working on. Cool. And um, so you're talking about, first of all, uh, the independent film school, that's your online yes. education yes. with all the master classes. Yeah. And that's, that's how I, found you and you know normally I indulge curiosity and jump on the mailing list and one of the things I noticed you know I think you did a transition or a rebrand while I was on there mm. in terms of what you chose to talk about on your mailing list but I really enjoy th how you go into talking about themes and voice and meaning and purpose and that really shows up on your websites as well Mm, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, I, I've been having a blast, like communicating with my subscribers, <laughs> we'll call it that, with, with the folks on my list. I write every week, as you know, mm. and um, it's been a balance of um, talking about craft and then talking about um, what I think artists need to hear to be able to persist and to be able to um, find our voice and, and, and to remember, I mean, each of us is <clears throat> so unique and, um, has something to bring to the table to offer that, um, that's just theirs. Mm. And I think that myself included artists as artists, we need regular reminders that, um, that our work matters and that we have something to bring that's important. Um, that's, that's not something we hear. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. I'm basically the weekly reminder, uh, <laughs> to artists to, to persist and that your work, your work really matters. Your work can make a real, uh, big difference to people. Right. And so I assume you, you came to that lesson, you know, personally. And so what was kind of your journey to getting into writing or screenwriting and finding your voice? Hmm. Wow, you ask big questions, Ethan. <laughs> uh, that's what I do. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I guess I should say it's not like <clears throat> from one day to the next. I was like, ah, my work matters and now I know it. And now I shall <laughs> tell everybody else. Um, you know, we're all in the same boat and I, I struggle as much as anyone else. And <clears throat> so when I, when I write to my list, it's not like... Uh, you know, I'm not exactly speaking from the podium. I'm, I'm talking, I'm saying those things that I also need to hear, that I also mm. need to be reminded of. Um, I'm very much a member of, of my own audience, so to speak, um, which is why I think my writing really speaks to writers and filmmakers because, um, because I'm, among, I'm among that group and I, I know what we need to hear. Mm. Um, my journey has been very, very long. It's, I've been at it for decades. I'm trying to think about an abridged version of where to start. Um, but um, I guess the abridged version is, um, it's what I've always wanted to do as far back as I knew movies existed. Mm. Um, when I first saw Mary Poppins as a, as a young girl. Um, and... Uh, <clears throat> Let's see. So it's what I've always wanted to do. And I did go to film school when I graduated high school. Mm. Um, and by the end of film school, oh, wait, 
hold on, backtrack. <laughs> there so we as go. As a teenager, as a teenager, um, I saw all sorts of people who grew up thinking they would be artists and had given that up mm -hmm. um, and looked not very happy with life. And I made myself a promise uh, that when I turned 27 years old, I don't know how I came up with that number, when, uh, when I turn 27, if I'm not pursuing my dreams and I'm like, you know, living a life I'm not happy with, that I was going to like stop everything and change my life around. That at 27, I can't keep saying I'm going to do that someday. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> so that's a promise I made myself. And then after film school, I gave up like most folks do when they leave film school um <laughs> the competition was really cutthroat i was super insecure i didn't know you know um I, yeah i couldn't persist i didn't have the support i would have needed to persist um so i gave up and i went to believe it or not rabbinical school um mm. i grew up secular and in my 20s i you know um I took interest in all that. And anyway, so in my 20s, I got the equivalent education of a rabbi. Um, and, uh, but when I, was in my, when I was 26, I did remember that promise that I'd made myself. And I questioned my life and I asked, like, am I pursuing my dreams or do I need to stop everything and reevaluate? Mm -hmm. And I, rem you know, so I remember that promise and I was like, well, you know, I did go to film school and it is what I wanted to do. So what's, what's up with that? And at the same time, while I was at the yeshiva poring over rabbinic texts <laughs> mm -hmm. um, in Jewish law, um, there was a phone call. This was uh, the 90s. So this was a payphone. I got a phone call in the payphone at the yeshiva and I was, uh, went to take the call and this guy who optioned the screenplay that I wrote when I was 19, seven years later, found the money to produce the film. Wow. And, um, and Principal Day of Photography was on my 27th birthday. So I took that as a sign <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And, uh, and I kept my promise. I, uh, at 27, I, I made a U-turn. It wasn't fast. It, it needed to happen in stages. Um, but I went back to, uh, to make good on the promise. And I'm now, it's now 20 years later, and I've done a lot. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. See, aren't, I'm glad I asked that question. That's a, that's a <laughs> fantastic story. And like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'm curious where you got that number too, but it definitely resonates with about how old I was when I started making my own mm. U-turn. Mm. I think in my mind as a young person, I saw 27 as like, you're young enough to make very drastic changes. Um, you're not buried in responsibilities just yet that you can't get out of. Uh, but you're old enough to be resourceful, to pursue things. It's, you know, you can no longer say like, someday when the grown-ups let me yeah um so I, th I think that was the logic hmm yeah i definitely overloaded on the obligations that was much <laughs> very tricky for me to extricate from but mm. so what was that project that came forward that option screenplay um it was a movie called the wedding cow it was a romantic comedy uh he made he found money for it uh, through a, a major TV network in Germany, 
So the script was translated to German, <laughs> uh, which is where it was shot. And uh, it was very funny. I remember seeing the reviews where uh, one critic said, not your typical German humor. Um, and I thought, yeah, no, it wouldn't be. <laughs> I'm not German. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sweet film. Um, I've, I'm light years a, a better writer now. So it's, it's not the film I send people to go watch. Uh, but it's it's a sweet film, yeah. Yeah. Well, and since we're not sending people there, I mean, how would they find it now? How would they find it? Yeah, how would you find it today? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you would Google the wedding cow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I've made films since then that I'd much rather have people watch. <laughs> is what for, I was getting at, yeah. For example... Um, well, my favorite is the last film, my last feature film, Tomorrow Ever After. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, my website is elatir.com, and that's where I highlight my favorite films and on all the links to watch them, or you can just Google Tomorrow, tomorrow Ever After the Movie.com. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, I keep, I keep getting better. So every, <clears throat> every time I make a film, it's, it's the best one. That's great. Yeah, it's a lovely way to feel. <laughs> and so you mentioned you keep getting better. And like, what was, what, what have you struggled with, like, leading up to that best work? Like, what was it that you needed to overcome to, to get to that next level for yourself? Mm, um. Let me think about that. I mean, uh, there are, you know, there are a few different ways I could answer it. There's, um, there's the journey of um, honing the craft and really, really getting the mastery of it. Mm -hmm. um, there's the journey that's full of like the emotional obstacles of the self-doubts and the insecurities and the discouragements and why bother and there's that whole, you know, set of obstacles. Um, yeah. And then there's the practical obstacles, which at the moment feel like the biggest ones. And that's like how to enter industry doors, how to um, raise the resources that you need to create your work. Um, so those are three very different conversations. They are. And uh, yeah. I'm kind of interested in all three because, and I imagine in the practical side, it, it's impractical to be knocking on these doors if you don't have the craft down and it would be really difficult if you're still feeling a lot of self doubt. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't speak for you, but I would imagine you, that still creeps up, but you maybe have tools mm -hmm. to manage that. Um, well, if by tools you mean people, yes. <laughs> oh, that's good answer. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can, you know, you can mouth off all the self-affirmations in the world and, and there is a time and place for that and it can be useful. But at the end of the day, um, I think the difference between success and getting stuck is having a, a network of support. It's having, mm. you know... I was just at Sundance this last week, and if I didn't have people I can call and text and be like, oh my God, this is a nightmare, get me out of here. Like, you have to have that um, to be able to stay the course. I think that's 
that's the make it or break it factor. It's, it's building mm. a network of people. And you do that by supporting other artists so that the support is mutual. Uh, yeah. That's, I imagine that's a hard lesson to come by. And, and you mentioned at the beginning when you quit film school, you quit partly because you didn't have that support. Right. Yeah. And uh, again, as far as like a lesson to come by, um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking from the podium of like, I have it made, you know, I mm. struggle like every other artist. We, we, um, how should I put it? We're all shrouded in isolation. You know, we work mm. in isolation uh, by and large. And that's, I, I think that's our biggest that's our biggest obstacle. I think anytime you manage to poke a hole in that, um, you move forward on all fronts in terms of resources, in terms of the self-doubts, in terms of craft. Um, and uh, <clears throat> that's a lifelong journey. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have been teaching so that I've been put in a position where I'm constantly having to remind artists to find each other Right. Um, and facilitate that and so that helps me to remember to do that but uh, you know going back to what I was saying I'm as much in need of those reminders as anyone else that I know and um, I don't always remember to take my own advice mm-hmm. and uh, and when I do things go better yeah right. and and from your own support network like what is uh positive helpful support network look like in terms of versus say you know toxic or otherwise limiting like how do you mm-hmm. how do you discern that or is that just a natural kind yeah. Of progression yeah it's a great question um <clears throat> hmm what would be toxic <laughs> Um, um, don't even bother applying for that you know yeah <laughs> or, well it's, you know, who are you to write about that uh, yeah no i you know i think things get toxic when we get caught up in um i'll just use the term in upward mobility mm. i think once we view our lives and our lives as artists in terms of some kind of a ladder we're trying to climb up Mm. um things get really rough really rough and um and what's rough is in our minds uh, Mm. because this ladder is an illusion and so you know it's one of those things where no matter what accomplishments you achieve you never feel like you've arrived you never feel satisfied with your work Um, and this is something i say to my students like you know, you can feel bad about the fact that you have an idea, but you haven't written it out and, some, and, and someone else has written it. Um, and then, but then if you do write the script, you can feel bad that you wrote the script, but this other person actually went and produced it. And then if you do produce it, you can feel bad because that other person got into all these festivals you didn't get into. Right. And then you can get into all these festivals, you know, but so-and-so like sold it or so-and-so got an Oscar nomination or, you know, and then you can get an Oscar and feel bad because someone else got two Oscars, you know, <laughs> true. <laughs> and I'm what, willing, 
Yeah. And I'm willing to bet you that that happens. I'm, I am sure that there are Oscar winners out there who feel bad because someone else has two Oscars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, that's, that's part of my intention with this show is to kind of highlight. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that whole like American dream climbing up the ladder, I think is what breeds relationships that are based in competition rather than uh, mutual support. And it's what um, has us not enjoy the work and, mm. um, you know, beat up on ourselves. So that's, that's what I, that's what I try to um, steer artists away from. And, um, and that is what was hard this past week. I mean, there are wonderful things. I went to Sundance to, uh, for the premiere of one of my students, actually, whose film premiered there. Mm. Um, it was great, 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 great. And it's so awesome to see her, you know, have all these doors open to her now. It's like wonderful, wonderful for everybody that that happened to her. And she's, you know... Um, and it's an environment where it's so easy for everybody to feel like, you know, a loser, basically, because mm. you didn't get in or you're not this or you're not getting access to that. And I mean, between us, like all of Sundance is like, it's a whole basically like schedule of parties that you do or do not get invited to. And it's right. like, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's all about like who's in and who's out. Um, so yeah, that's toxic and uh, like what builds community that actually supports and moves us forward, um, is, um, is having a shared purpose, um, and seeing ourselves as <clears throat> moving together as a group of artists mm. towards a shared purpose. Um, you know, I, when I started teaching, I used to think of myself as, I mean, at the time, I just thought of myself as a writer. I wasn't yet thinking of myself as a writer, director, certainly not a producer. Mm. Um, and I had a, I had a vision. I had a, um, a purpose. I did. Um, I was intentioned to like create films that move us in a positive direction as a society. Mm -hmm. But it didn't occur to me until. I taught for a while that what I'm actually in the middle of is creating a whole movement of filmmakers who share that intention. Mm. Um, and that really at the end of the day, when, when filmmakers are reminded of those possibilities, in my experience, every filmmaker wants to be a part of that, a part of a movement of artists who are here to move, uh, move us forward. Mm. towards a more human society um so you know when a colleague friend gets into sundance with a really wonderful film that opens people's minds that brings diversity that you know it's a her film is so much about human caring um it moves all of us forwards it's it's like her success is my success and mm. um yeah, it's it's really about seeing ourselves as a group and, and um that that makes community yeah uh what's the word? Useful, frankly. Yeah. Like a practical there's a practical element. And that's I think when you were talking about that, that reminded me of some of the stuff that you were sharing on your newsletter. And I think that's what caught my eye really was 
you, you didn't just invite the call for movement and action, you know, it was here are concrete things we can do and mm-hmm. certain element of educating and inspiring that I appreciate. Oh, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of, you know, I think about that and you stories that move humanity forward and the fact that in a few months you're going to be looking at looking for scripts right or projects and is that how do you like what are your selection criteria what are you going to be looking for um well i don't have the the time or resources to look for scripts i'm a very prolific writer myself Mm. so um so i'll be producing something that i've written and um Mm. I have, yeah, I have a pile of scripts that I'd, I'd love to see all of them made. And so it's going to be that very rough uh, choice to, to focus on one and, and set the rest aside. That's um, harder in a way, I would imagine. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a different animal. But um, in terms of, um, let's see, um, I guess if I were to speak to investors and to production companies about their selection process, Mm. um, I'll put it this way. So I had a friend once who said that she doesn't go to the movies and she doesn't watch movies. And I asked her why. And she said, well, she goes, it's boring. (laughs) She goes, there are basically two kinds of movies. Like every movie I see is this or the other one. It's either uh, somebody's entire life revolves around an infatuation or people being really mean to each other. <laughs> Those are basically the movies that are out there and, uh, and shows. And she, you know, she's not wrong. I mean, you know, everything I watch, I could tell you if it's about an infatuation or if people are like kicking each other and killing each other and whatever, betraying each other or whatever. Um, yeah. They're about meanness. And there is like a mistaken idea that that's what you need to create drama, to create entertainment, to keep people's interests. And I think nothing is further from the truth. And that what we really yearn for when we go to see movies are reminders that, um, that we're caring beings, that people care about each other, that we long to show it. Um, and we often struggle to, you know, we're shrouded with embarrassment, with humiliation, with fear of rejection, with all sorts of baggage and hurt. But underneath all that rubble, we long to care about each other. And um, historically, if you look at movies that really stuck out, that became big classics, they're not about meanness and infatuations. They are about caring. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, I remember I wrote a review once of The Martian. I was like, I just love that movie because there were no bad guys. You know, there were some obstacles, but here's this guy stranded in Mars and everybody's trying to help him and he's trying to, you know, uh, be resourceful and figure mm. out how to survive. And it's like, it was really a movie about human cooperation and it was full of drama and obstacles. Um, so I guess I would say the movement I'm building are artists who are focused in on stories about caring, about compassion, about generosity, um, 
and um and that's what i would encourage producers to look for not only because um those are the movies that move us forward um but also because they're really more marketable i mean if you look at like hmm. the movies that win oscars you know i just recently saw jojo rabbit like three times because i love that movie it's you know the movies that really stick out that become classics are about caring they're not mm. about sex and they're not about violence that's i love that you highlight that so much i think you're right absolutely um I did a similar analysis about songs like what were the top mm. 10 songs of all time and mm. they're all about caring. Mm. Mhm. Yep, I believe you. Yeah, and you know, I I write books and there's a lot of books that are about the external drama and a lot of those sell really well. And and I'm curious what listeners can take away thinking about the genres they write in, you know, or the screenplays they write in, how, how you can use this that you're talking about. And I guess we're talking about really, we have enough internal drama <laughs> in our own heads right? yeah. to, Although, to sustain a story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to clarify, I'm all for external obstacles. You need them to yeah. be a storyteller and I, and I teach writing and you, you have to have that. Um, it would be very boring to see someone just sit in a chair and be in angst. Right. Um, I mean, there's... Well, that would be literary fiction, wouldn't it? Just... Yeah. <laughs> um, in movies, it's a visual medium and we need to see people struggle externally. Yeah. Um, that creates the plot. But what makes the plot meaningful um, and what really moves us is the, um, the yearning to care. Um, and, you know, I mentioned Jojo Rabbit. I mean, certainly plenty of external obstacles. It's a movie about World War II. It's a movie about the Holocaust. You know, it's like, if we do this, you're going to die. So there's no lack of external obstacles. Um, but it is a movie about caring, it's, um, which is, I think, the only lens through which you can really look at the Holocaust in any way that's productive or useful. It's right. a movie about human caring. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you're also um, working pretty assertively in terms of climate change mm -hmm. issues. Did mm -hmm. you want to talk about that? <laughs> talk like, about external obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're screwed. Um, let's see. What do I want to say about that? Um, I was never an environmentalist. I was never a climate activist until in the very recently, um, thanks to the work and passion of young people who really, um, uh, made sure that people like me wake up and, um, uh, and, and figure out what's actually going on. Mm. And, um, and they've done a tremendous job in <clears throat> raising awareness. So I had, I did go through, uh, how should I talk about this? I did, I did go through this like existential crisis for a while and where I said like, we're in an emergency situation. It is time sensitive. Right. We have to transform our entire energy system in the next 10 years. This is no joke. Mm -hmm. um, and the stakes are too high to like sit by the sidelines and hope it all turns out. 
And so I, you know, I, I question myself, like, is filmmaking, does filmmaking make sense right now? Do I need, uh. to, like, do I need to drop what I'm doing and throw in completely uh, with the climate movement and be able to tell my children that I've done everything I could? Um, and <clears throat> I decided ultimately to stay the course and continue to dedicate myself to filmmaking because I think there's a role, possibly a critical role that filmmakers can make um, in that arena. But the decision to, uh, to stay the course also came with the decision to bring that topic into conversation any chance I could. Mm -hmm. So in my newsletters, I often bring it up um, in my conversations with people in the films I produce. I mean, you know, I was saying I'm going to be figuring out which project I want to take on next. Um, and I have these beautiful scripts that I love. And the last thing I've been working on, um, which is a series, is focused on the climate crisis. And that may be the factor why I choose that project over mm. the others. Um, uh, and I've made a point of doing everything I could to uh, raise awareness among the filmmakers that I have access to. And I'm seeing their work and their subject matter and, you know, and what they're writing about um, shift the attention to this, to this issue. So... Yeah, I'm uh, I'm figuring out my role in that, and and it's you know it's catastrophic and it's incredible because uh, this is the issue that potentially could really unite the human race. Right. Um, you know, we can no longer say like this helps us, but doesn't help them. But who cares about them as long as we get our blah blah? Um, <clears throat> it's not going to work. Like we live in a we live on a, uh, we share a planet and uh, what happens over there is going to affect us over here and vice versa. Um, and, um, and what's also amazing about this issue is that uh, the Band-Aid solutions and the cosmetic fixes are not going to cut it. Yeah. Um, we, can't, <clears throat> we can't pretend that minor little tweaks and reforms in society will do the trick. Uh, we're looking at at a change in how we conduct societies. Um, and so it's, it's the most uh, devastating crisis that humanity has faced and possibly the most uh, fruitful and exciting in terms of transitioning from a society governed by greed to one that's governed by compassion. Right. So some sort of shift from exploitation economy to something sustainable. And yeah, to being human. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's a challenge because, you know, families, like say somebody gets cancer, somebody gets sick, you know, just as often as not the, what ends up happening is it causes a rupture, right? All the other things come up and the things that are blocking our capacity to care will come up uh -huh. in that yeah. process. And so. I imagine holding on to hope in this is going to be important and increasing our awareness of caring and capacity, our IQ for them caring for each other. Yeah, we can't, we can't afford to stay numb. Um, 
which is what we were taught to do. So right. it's, it's an awesome challenge. But I, I do want to say just, um, you know, what I've loved about following the leadership of young people is that what, the, what they're telling us to do is like, they keep saying, we don't need hope. We don't want hope. We want action. Right. And that it's action that, that breeds hope. Um, so I've been, I've been keeping that as my, my mantra. Um, it's, it's not going to be enough to say it's all going to be good. You know, um, it's action that, that really, that breeds real hope rather than the pretense of hope. Yeah. And it's, I don't personally see it as a political issue so so much as common sense. Like I think if we're informed by, um, enlightened self-interest, right. Which was theoretically supposed to drive our economy and, and decision-making it's the enlightened thing to ensure my own survival right yeah and and so i would want that and i would want things to be as profitable as possible the best economy and it looks like everything i've seen that the best economic economic moves are in fact to save the planet <laughs> isn't it awesome that like <laughs> for each of us what's good for us individually is what's good for everybody Right, um, but I guess we have to stop doing, hating ourselves, though. Yeah, <laughs> doing the right thing is is the pro survivor is the pro survival thing. Right. Um. There's there is no con- there is no inherently there is no conflict of interest um, between yeah. people and and yeah. Do, doing uh, acting with integrity is and with compassion is completely completely pro survivor. Pro survival, yeah. yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to explore this with you is I know there's a conversation in different communities and mine is no different with, with authors and um, like that question of, is it important for me to talk out, speak out on these types of issues or does it damage my brand? And is it right? Like, Mm -hmm. should I be doing that or should I just be focused on, you know, keeping my mouth shut and doing what I get paid for and, and I guess I've, in a practical sense, like, have you noticed anything shift for your business, your audience, the people you work with since you mm. started becoming more outspoken? <laughs> this is funny, Ethan. You ask really great questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Very good questions. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. What do I want to say about that? Um, I mean, your question is one that every every business owner <clears throat> needs to ask, mm-hmm. and I'm sure has asked. Um, and every artist, I mean, every artist is a business owner. We are your work is your business. Um, <clears throat> so whether you're aware of it or not, you as an artist are a business. Um, and for a long time. Um, I wasn't exactly in the closet about my politics, but it wasn't, it certainly was not in the foreground. Mm-hmm. And um, this issue really did drive me to, um, to just take the plunge and actually like full out, say what I think, um, be passionate about it. And <clears throat> I think it does serve me um, to be that much more, authentic and honest um and the reason i wasn't like a thousand percent in the open in the past 
is um, is not exactly because I was worried about damaging my brand, but um, although that's a very fair way to put it, um, I didn't want to alienate people who necessarily uh, who disagreed with me. Mm. Um, not because I'm looking for you know as many customers as possible, um, or I'm you know looking for a body count, but because I think it is important to have a diverse community in many ways, including um, your your stance politically. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so the way I've gone about it, um, I actually, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, I wrote one of my Tip Tuesdays. That's my weekly newsletter, as you know. Um, I've, I've been talking about how to market yourself, and I explained how why uh, Bernie's campaign is so markety. You know, like what what can you learn about marketing from his campaign? Mm. And I opened that letter by saying, <clears throat> this is going to be useful information to you regardless of what candidate you're behind and, you know, what your opinions are politically. And I went on to say, you don't have to agree with me. I don't want you to agree with me as far as politics go. What I want is for you to have your own thinking for real. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Our obstacle is not that people are like dum-dums, you know, or that people have wrong opinions. Our main obstacle is that um, people have been taught in many, many ways that they need to defer to someone else's thinking because theirs is not good enough to rely on. Right. That's our issue. And we see that on a, across the political spectrum. We see it on the left where people kind of toe a party line and don't really think for themselves. And we see it on the right where people just parrot what they hear and don't really trust their own thinking. Um, so when I do discuss politics, which I've done more and more and more of, and I am a very, very passionate Bernadista, um, my agenda is not to get you to vote for Bernie. My agenda is to get you to have your own thinking for real, but like for real, you know, not what so-and-so thinks, not what you've always been taught. What do you really think makes sense? Um, I have faith in human beings and I have faith in our minds. And I think that if people trusted their own thinking, um, that that's the final frontier. (laughs) Uh, because at the end of the day, everybody wants what's good for, <clears throat> for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that if people trusted their own thinking, we would arrive at the most human and pro-survival policies that we could hope to arrive at. Mm. That's a very inclusive answer and humane. And I think you're right that would that would do the trick and again being practical i i imagine if if the goal is to change the outlook toward ourselves and trust our thinking and develop more compassion then alienating those who don't agree with us would be limiting our audience to those who you know don't need that work necessarily yeah, I mean, my, my mission statement, ultimately, as an artist and as a human being, um, is, is 
is to do my part in building a society where every human gets to flourish. So yes, I was a part of the Occupy movement and I love that we devised this language of the 99% and the 1% and that language, you know, went on to feed and create Bernie's campaign and we use it all the time and it's fine for now, but ultimately I don't want, what I want is not for the 99%. I want the hundred percent. I don't think we have to settle. Um, I think every human being is someone we want. Um, And when we see horrific behaviors and damaging decisions and policies, and my point of view is that what we're seeing are very, very hurt people um, who are been unfortunate enough to be put in positions where they can act out on these hurts. I'm getting a little heady here, but, um, but I really believe that, that um, there are no bad people, there are hurt people. And all of us carry some baggage, some hurt to some degree. Um, and some people are very, very, very deeply damaged. And when you put someone like that in charge, when you put someone like that Um, in a position where they govern over other people, um, the results are devastating. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm looking for a revolution with no bad guys. I'm looking for the 100%. Revolution with no bad guys. That that sounds like a worthwhile That's my slogan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the title of my book. (laughs) I look forward to that book. (laughs) Uh, and so, um, yeah, I'm really liking that actually where, where we're at. And so for people who want to find you or maybe fired up about what you're saying and want to learn more about the work you create or, or the teaching you do, how can they find you? Uh, the yeah, that's the independentfilmschool.com. And um, usually what you'll find on the homepage are a variety of uh, free trainings that I offer to screenwriters and, um, and filmmakers. Um, but if you're looking specifically for the weekly newsletter that you were talking about, mm-hmm. go to the footer of the website and you'll see a subscribe button. Um, let me think. Yeah, and my films are on elatir.com. Great. And I'll have links for both of those in the show, show notes. Yeah. Voila. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks so much. It's really, really fun. I love your questions. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.